all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death and crowned with glory and honor. Isn't that that same phrase in Psalm 8? Now it's applied to Jesus Christ. So there's, there's a purpose behind this because... In chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews brilliantly demonstrates through Old Testament scriptures the deity of Jesus Christ. Now in chapter 2, the author is trying to show not only he's superior over angels, but he's clearly showing us the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now this is something I want you to get because um, some people go one extreme or the other, that Jesus was just a man, or he was God Almighty and not human at all. So here's your next fill-in to help you understand that, okay? It's biblically wrong to think of Jesus as merely God or merely man, okay? Merely God or merely man. It's wrong to think of him as half God and half man, or any percentage of the split, okay? Uh, it's wrong to think of him as man on the outside but God on the inside, right? People have got all these weird views of, of Jesus. The Bible teaches Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that the human nature was added to his divine nature. And both natures existed in one person, Jesus Christ. Now this could sound real mind-boggling because you really don't know anybody like that, right? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, like... How do you describe this? There's only one person in all the universe that, that fits this. As a matter of fact, in theology, they call this the hyperstatic union. It's, it's the combination of God and man to where he's fully God and fully man. And you know, as a matter of fact, interesting that the first heresy in the early church wasn't that Jesus is God. That uh, isn't God, excuse me. Um, many of the, the cults today... They think that Jesus isn't God. That's the heresy we deal with. He wasn't really God. He was just a man, or he was an angel, or he was something else, okay? But the first heresy in the early church was that Jesus wasn't human. Isn't that interesting? They thought he was all God, but not human. And he only seemed human. As a matter of fact, it's, if, you, if you study, especially if you're studying in 1 John, he dealt with what's called the Gnostic heresy quite often. And uh, this was a, a section of Gnosticism called Docetism, 
which, which actually it comes from a Greek word that means to seem. Jesus just seemed to be human. That's what the Gnostics taught, you know. He just seemed to be eating, but he was really immaterial. He was a ghost, you know. He seemed to be walking on the beach, but he left no footprints. He, he wasn't really there. It's Gnosticism, if you study Gnosticism. At all. As a matter of fact, that's what the Apostle John wrote about a lot when he wrote First John and Second John, that he was refuting the, the heresy of Gnosticism that Jesus isn't human. So you got to get both. You got to understand the deity of Christ, but you got to understand the humanity of Christ. Okay? Now, move on. Verse 7 goes on to say, let me start at the beginning of verse 7. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. Again, this is talking about human beings. And you've put all things in subject under his feet. But in that you put all things in subjection under him, you left nothing that is not put under him. So here the writer's emphasizing the point that God put all things under humans' domain. Not some things, but all things under our subjection. Now, why is the world not seem to be subjected to us? Seems to be out of control, doesn't it? Wait a minute, you put all things, we have dominion over all things. I can barely get my dog to sit when I tell him to sit, let alone tell the bird to come over here, or the, the, the wildlife. I have no control. The world is out of control right now. Why? Well, because we currently live in a fallen world. We have had a little setback in the garden when sin entered the world, and we no longer have dominion. It's been out of control. You know who has dominion? The devil has dominion. When, when Adam sold out to the devil, believed him rather than God, and now the whole world is under control of Satan. That's why it's in such a mess. That's why it's so messed up, okay? So, in verse 8b, we see man's frustration. Matter of fact, that's your next film. We see man's frustration. It's not God's frustration. He's not frustrated. This is all part of his plan. He knew it all along, and it's purposeful. Look at verse 8, the, the last part. It says, uh, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. That's our frustration, right? Try to get your dog to come when you want him to come to you, and he runs, right? You ever have that? I mean, I, I, can, I know how to get my canary to sing. I just play a uh, we play Sonny and Cher. I got you, babe. The canary sings every time. So some things work, some things don't. But we're out of control. We don't have control over the way. It's man's frustration, frustration we're dealing with, not God's. God is not frustrated. God is not out of control. The big picture is it's all part of his plan to teach us how much we need him. And we can't even, even innocent Adam and Eve in the garden couldn't rule for very long without blowing it, without God being over them. So by all appearances, the promise of Psalm 8 that we just read seems unfulfilled, seems like a failure. We don't see all things subjected to mankind. We don't see the, what we do see is a world out of control given over to Satan. That's why, you know, anybody ever ask you, well, if God's a loving God, why do we see evil in the world? Because mankind gave dominion over to the devil, and he's running things right now until the day when Jesus rules and reigns forever, and that day is coming soon, okay? Now, a little picture of this, in case you miss it, is um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. I'm going to read it from two different translations to get a nice rounded picture. The New Living Translation puts it like this, Ephesians 2, 2. 
You used to live in sin, speaking to the Christians, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. That's who the devil is. He's the commander. He's in charge. He's running things behind the scenes. He's the man behind the curtain in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So two things worded here. One is the devil's running the natural world. But number two is those who are not submitting to God, they're naturally under control of the devil. Well, is that why so-and-so lives the way they do? <laughs> Don't... Don't point, no names. But, but that's what the scriptures say. Now, let me read that same verse to you from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I love it. I love the ver- variety here. Uh, Ephesians 2.2, Holman Christian Standard. In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. So the devil is exercising authority over everything below heaven, all of us. And that's why the world is in a mess. The spirit now working in the disobedient. That's another way of saying it, okay? Now, here's your next fill-in. Currently, we're suffering a temporary setback due to the sin that will ultimately work out for good. You know, I always quote Romans 8, 28. I always say we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him, to those who are the call of the corner of his purpose. I really believe that. But I believe even, even the fall of man, even what happened in the garden, Romans 8, 28, God knew it was happening, he planned for it, and he's going to redeem it. Matter of fact, Romans 8, 28, will, God will fully redeem even the fall of man. Someday, we will rise above the status of Adam. That's something that took me a couple of years as a Christian to realize this, because I thought when you get saved, you get restored back to the innocence of the garden. When you get saved, you know, Adam and Eve sinned, they were tainted by sin, we get saved, now we get to get back to where Adam and Eve was. No, we get above Adam and Eve. So here's your feeling, though, I'm still doing it. Adam and Eve were merely innocent humans. They were without sin, but they were innocent humans. Born-again Christians were new creatures filled with God's Holy Spirit and partakers of the divine nature. You realize that? The Bible teaches us that we're going to be, when it all is said and done, when God finally redeems this whole mess, we're going to be better off than Adam and Eve were. I used to think, oh, back to the garden, back to the way it was for Adam and Eve. No, they were just kind of blank slates, innocent. But we, born-again Christians, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are partakers of the divine nature, as Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me read this to you. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which we've been given exceeding great and precious promises, that through these, listen to this, you may be partakers of the divine nature. You know what that means? God lives in you. God gives you his Holy Spirit. You're not just an innocent blank slate. Now you've got God living in you. Now, as a child of God, you have the divine nature. Now, I don't say we should worship you, but we are partakers with Christ, with his nature. And when we rule and reign with Christ, when that day comes, we'll be equipped for it. 
Not just a blank slate, not just innocent, you know, humans that are going to blow it without God's help. We can only do it when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in his power. Okay, so it says, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. By the way, that's, that's one way you could test to see how well your divine nature is working. <laughs> you want to know if, if uh, you actually are working in the power of the divine nature that's been given you? Are you walking in the lust of the flesh? Or have you escaped that and now you're walking in the divine nature? That's really a big picture of the divide here. You're either empowered by the divine nature or you are walking in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, as the Bible says. Okay? Now, let me just take a little bit off your shoulders here. It's a process. Some of you are further along than others. Some of you might be failing miserably. You think you're not even saved. Get up, dust yourself off, confess your sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So if you look at the, the God's standards in the scriptures and you go, Well, that's not me. Get up, repent of your sin, dust yourself off, and get your eyes back on Jesus and walk again, okay? It's not all over, and don't believe the lies of the devil. See, you're not really saved, saved, saved. You're going to hell, hell, hell. You know, the devil, how the devil works like that? No, no, no. What you need to do is say, I'm a child of God. I'm not going to stay here in this ditch. I'm a, I got the divine nature. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been forgiven my sins. I'm not going to stay living in that sin. I repent of my sin, and I confess it to God, and I'm filled with And then you get up and walk, see? That's, that's how to do it. So don't get stuck. All right. Now, by the way, you know, as I was, there's so much I wanted to say as I was studying this text. Do you know that not only will we be elevated above the rank of angels, we're for a little while lower than the angels, we'll be elevated above the rank of angels. And the Bible even tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll judge angels. Well, especially the devil, right? Listen to this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 3. Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So should, excuse me, so you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes of life. Now, the context of this is they're having problems within. You ever have problems with other Christians? Nah. You ever have headbutts with brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah. And so what Paul was writing to the, the Corinthian church, look guys, grow up. Be what God's called you to be. Be what God's made you to be. We're going to someday judge angels. Can't you just judge among yourselves what's right and what's wrong and settle your, your disputes where I have to sue each other and go to court and all this stuff? That's, that's really the context. But don't miss that line he slips in there. Someday we'll judge angels. So I was going to say practice. No, you don't want to practice by judging uh, no, we, so we need to learn to have discernment and walk uprightly because someday we're going to have the responsibility of judging even the fallen angels, okay? So now let's get the flow of our text again. Let's back up, back to verse 6, and I want to get the flow of this. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've set him over the work of your hands. And you've put all things under subjection under his feet. And that, 
For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things under his feet. But, look at verse 9, but we see Jesus. Oh, it's kind of like, but look at the mess we're in. Look at, what about this and what about that? But what about Jesus? You got problems in life? Yeah, welcome to real life, okay? You got troubles and trials and temptations and sins and failures? <coughs> you got things out of control in the world? Yeah, welcome to real life. But don't take your eyes off of Jesus. In the midst of all this, in the fallen world, and man does not have the dominion he was supposed to have, the author goes on in verse 9 and says, But, but, but we see Jesus, who is made... He was made to be a human being. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He was crowned with glory and honor. Now, I want to stop there. It's interesting. I want, oh, I want you to see that second part of the verse. That, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Okay? So, man was crowned with glory and honor. In verse 7, he lost his glory and honor, became a slave to sin. Jesus Christ regained the right place for mankind of glory and honor. And believers today, we actually are sharing in Jesus' kingly domain. It hasn't, hasn't been fully shown yet what will be. Uh, but one day, when Jesus establishes his kingdom, we're going to rule and reign with him in glory. In glory and honor, by the way. So, verse 9 says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might test, taste death for everyone. Okay, first of all, before we go any further, I want you to see that phrase, by the grace of God. How did this happen? Well, I worked really hard for it. Well, I went to church every Sunday, and I, 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 I used to smoke and chew and go, go with those who do, but I don't anymore. And stop it. You know how we got where we're at? If you're born again, if you're a Christian right now, by the grace of God. Amen. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I'm not just pointing at you. We don't deserve it. It's because of Jesus, because of the grace of God. Grace is God's undeserved favor, giving us what we don't deserve uh, by the grace of God. And so, uh, if, by the way, if he hadn't become a man... He, he couldn't have died. He couldn't have tasted death. He couldn't have experienced death for every man. And it's true that angels can't die, you know, but angels can't die for our sins either. Uh, so Jesus had to become lower than the angels. Now one more thing I want to end with today, and I'm going to end a little bit early today. There's a, uh, the last part of this verse says that he tasted death for everyone. I really believe that's what it means. Everyone means everyone. Uh, there are many today who will tell you that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of a select group of people, and if it wasn't for you, which some of you are out of it, you know, some of you are chosen, some of you are frozen, you know. Uh, I believe the scriptures declare that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's plan is to save. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Not just you're going to heaven, 
you're going to hell. There's a lot of people right now spreading a doctrine, and it's been a while, around for a while, that only some people are going to get saved, and the rest, no matter like it or not, you're all going to hell. Well, I think the, the scriptures, well, this is one of them. Jesus tasted death for every man, okay? So here's an explanation for this in your filling to help you think through this. Jesus' sacrificial death on that cross was sufficient for all the sins of the, the sins of the whole world. And First uh, John 2, 2, you could look that up, actually says that he died for our sins, but not our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's what First John 2, 2 says. But it's, it's sufficient for the sins of the whole world, but only efficient for those who believe. Over and over again, when you study this topic in the scriptures, it's about faith. Adam and Eve fell in the garden because they believed the wrong person. They believed the devil's word rather than God's word. The way back to God is you believe God again. Okay? It's whosoever will. Whosoever will believe God. It, all it takes is whosoever believes in him. All it takes is faith. And you know what? If any people go to hell, they don't go to hell because, oh, I did a bad thing. I sinned. Now, we're all guilty and condemned under sin, but the, the answer is, Put your trust in Christ. He paid for your sins. Trust in what he did for you on the cross and you'll be saved. So the problem is no longer sin because we have a solution for sin. The problem is unbelief. That's, that's the problem, the worst enemy we face today. Okay, so Jesus' death makes salvation possible for anyone who accepts his forgiveness and entrusts his or her life to him. While forgiveness... Uh, Jesus provides is effective only for those who accept it and s surrender their lives to him. The sacrifice was adequate to forgive all the sins of the whole world. This means that the invitation to eternal life with Christ is always extended to all people. You know, I've actually heard some people teach, you've got to be careful who you say Jesus died for you to because maybe Jesus didn't die for them. I mean, people get all messed up with this. Oh, you can't tell people Jesus died for them because how do you know? Maybe Jesus didn't die for them. Stop it! God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You just preach the gospel. You tell them of God's great love found in Christ, that God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now what are you going to do about it? People, I don't know if I'm chosen. Choose him, you'll find out. Now, unfortunately, most people do reject the gift of God. Over and over again, you'll meet people who've heard John 3.16. They've heard the gospel. Maybe they used to go to church. Maybe they've visited a church once. They know the story, but they don't surrender to it. Unfortunately, I'd say the majority of the world, even though there's some, they say Christianity is like one of the world biggest world religions. Not everybody goes to church as a Christian either, right? Okay? But all we could deal with is ourselves. And all I could address is you. Right here. In this room, and those who are live streaming, and those who will listen sometime later on the radio when it's rebroadcast. And I ask you, what have you done with Jesus? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have, have everlasting life. Now what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to God's gift of eternal life? Now if you haven't received God's gift, you know, uh, later we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. Let me just read it to you as a sneak peek. 
Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. All I can say is if you've heard the voice of God and you resist the voice of God, you know, Hebrews over and over again deals with this. People who know the truth but reject the truth. People who know what they're supposed to do and they go the other direction. Over and over again, that's what we're going to see in the book of Hebrews. So if you're running from God, you might not want to come back next week. Because you're going to hear it over and over and over again. God pleading with you to be reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. Why would you reject Jesus? He's the greatest. He's, why would you accept the lesser for the greater? And why would you forfeit the great gift we looked at last week? How shall we escape God's judgment if we neglect God's great gift? So folks... We do need to hear this. Some of you guys, you're walking with the Lord. You're going, why are you you're preaching to the choir, Pastor Mike? I'm doing okay. I'm not rebelling against God. Okay, well, sing if you're, I'm preaching to the choir, okay? Next time we do worship, I want to hear the choir a little bit more, okay? But listen, another thing is, it makes you check your heart, and it makes you realize the urgency of reaching out to your friends and your relatives and those who you know, who know the truth, and they're not following it. God help us. Father, we bow before you right now. We just admit we are prone to wonder, as the old hymn says. We are prone to stray and go, go the wrong direction. But help us, Lord, to always be hearing your word. And as the verse says, but we see Jesus. May we fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray for those who are walking with you right now, that, who are in our service, that you'd help us to continue steadfast walking with you by your grace, in your strength, walking with the imparted divine nature that you've given us, and help us to make a difference in the world in which we live. Help us to make a difference in our families, in our workplace, in the schools we go to all. Lord, help us to make a difference. And Lord, I also pray if there's anyone listening within the sound of my voice, who's been in a stuck place, maybe not surrendered to you, maybe knowing the truth but not surrendered to the truth. Father, may this be the day that they hear your voice and harden not their heart. If I'm praying for you, would you just cry out to the Lord right now? If you sense the Holy Spirit tapping on your shoulder, whispering in your ear and saying, come back, my child, would you confess your sin and just... We hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah.
the power of His name.